0: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, we're going to turn to the Old Testament prophet Micah. Micah chapter 5. If you're familiar with the, uh, the Matthew's account of the visit from the Magi or the three kings as they're often referred to. But if you're familiar with that account, they showed up at Herod's palace and they wanted to know where, where Jesus was to be born. Herod had no idea what was going on, had no idea where Jesus was to be born. He, he was the the King of the Jews. He wasn't Jewish, but he had been installed as the King, and they came up and said, uh, "Where is uh, the newborn King of the Jews?" And of course, uh, it took him by surprise. So he went to the religious experts and scribes and scholars and said, "These three guys have showed up saying that there's a new King. Where where would they find him?" And they quoted Micah chapter five. So we're going to read what they had. Herod turned to um, on that uh, occasion of the Lord's birth. Micah 5, 1. Uh, Keep your hand here, by the way. We will be coming back. And as I read it, I'll remind you that this is the word of God. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But... As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will raise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Let's pray. So Father, there is a lot in that passage to understand. To unpacked, um, which is not necessarily my purpose uh, this morning. But, Lord, uh, this is where the scribes turn to to say uh, where the newborn king of the Jews could be found in Bethlehem of Judea, a little town. Hardly anybody ever visited there. But yet from that town would come forth the Prince of Peace, the King, not of just only the Jews, but of all. So Lord, I pray this morning as we uh, take time to celebrate that event, that um, we would lay aside all the other cares and thoughts and excitements and uh, plans, and just, just for a little bit um, think about who is this baby that was born in Bethlehem. I pray. Amen. For those of you who are guests, my Christmas sermon series has been called My Christmas Playlist. And I chose five different Christmas carols to use to kind of uh, start my messages. We would look at this, this, the song story. And then the scripture that ties into that song the, song, the scripture story, and then we look at the Savior story. So this morning, we're going to look at I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Now, I chose this Christmas playlist months ago. Um, I had no idea that Sight and Sound, if you know who that is, would be releasing a full-length feature film about this particular Christmas carol. I had no idea. I was quite surprised when I saw that. Um, uh, I have not seen it. I, I watched the trailer last week. It looked very good. I've had folks this morning tell me that they did see it, and it was excellent. Um, but that puts me on the spot, though, because I'm going to tell a little bit of the, of the story, um, kind of the, the behind-the-music look at, at the song, and I haven't seen the movie, so I can't uh, say exactly what they, how they presented it or, or, or whatever. Um, but this morning we are going to look at I Heard the Bells, on Christmas Day. Now, I chose this song months ago because, well, it's Christmas Day. Um, And that's the day that the author heard the bells. However, to be blunt, I do have a few issues with this song. Uh, It doesn't mention Jesus at all. It mentions Christmas once and God once, in Christendom once, but it does not mention Jesus. It mentions bells more, bells, belfries, ringing, chimes, but no Jesus. So that's one critique I might have of this song. Um, also, of course, if you were here last week, we dealt with why uh, uh, modern translations uh, do not favor the translations as peace on earth and goodwill to men. Um, if you were last Sunday, you, you uh, heard uh, why I think that's uh, a, not the greatest translation. Um, I think this idea of goodwill to everybody conveys a false sense of security. That it's better said God's favor are, is on men whom, whom he is pleased. And of course, the way to God's favor is to accept his son, Jesus Christ. And those who believe uh, in Christ... Uh, will receive the favor of God, not just everybody, just because Jesus happened to be born. Well, let's look at the song story, all right? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, one of America's most respected poets, wrote, uh, wrote this poem about the Civil War. Now, again, as we were singing it, you, you could kind of look behind the lines there a little bit and, and, and see that there's something that was on his mind as he, as he wrote it. Um, Longfellow was born on February 27th, 1807 and experienced quite a bit of tragedy. His first wife, Mary Potter, died while Longfellow was overseas. After a long and difficult courtship, he married Frances Appleton in 1843, and they had six children. In 1861, while sealing envelopes with hot wax, a flame caught Francis' clothes on fire, and she was burned beyond recovery. uh, Longfellow fell into a deep depression uh, after this event and threw himself into his poetry, into his work. On December 1st, 1863, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow received a telegram that his eldest son, Charlie, had been severely wounded four days earlier in the Civil War. Longfellow found himself staring down another Christmas season as a widower, with five children dependent on him, and now his eldest child on the brink of death. While reading this telegram, um, he heard the bells, the Christmas bells ringing. In the midst of his pain and hope, he, pe- he penned this poem. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote this poem on Christmas Day, 1863. Now, again, he was a poet. He was not a, a hymn writer. Many of our hymns, many of our Christmas carols start out, of course, as po- poems, and they're put to music. This poem was turned into a song in 1872 by John Baptiste Calkin, and Um, As he was turning it into what became the Christmas carol that we just sang, uh, uh, Calkin removed some of the stanzas that were specific to the Civil War. Here's one verse that he removed that we do not sing. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill, to men. In the 1962 novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes, Ray Bradbury described this carol as immensely moving, overwhelming, no matter what day or what month you sing it. Well, that's the song story. What is the, what is the scripture story? How does this tie in? Well, this hymn was written uh, against the backdrop of war. There was a war going on. Terrible rebellion and division and brother against brother. But against that backdrop, he wrote the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The prophecy that we've read of Christ's birth this morning was written against the backdrop of war. You look at Micah chapter 4, verse 9. Now, why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among us? Or has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Wither and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. So um, he's, he's predicting here the Babylonian captivity. When Nebuchadnezzar would come in and destroy Jerusalem and carry them off captive. That's, the, that, that's what he's prophesying about. Now, Micah actually lived not only before the Babylon captivity happened, he, lived, uh, he began prophesying before the, the uh, Samaritans or the, the Syrians, uh, Assyria took over the northern part of Israel. So as he's writing, as he's a prophet, as he's writing, Coming up in Israel is the uh, Assyrians are going to defeat the northern kingdom and carry them into captivity. Then about 150 years later, the Babylonians are going to uh, also um, desmate uh, the southern kingdom. So that is what he, he has in mind here. Uh, now, the good news is he says in verse 10, go to Babylon and there you will be rescued. Now, again, this is him prophesying about a future event saying that you'll be carried away captive, but you will be released. Um, Jeremiah, another prophet, said that it would be 70 years. And, of course, it was. But verse 11. um, So, uh, and now many nations have been assembled against you. So he's talking to the, the, he's a prophet of Israel. He's talking to Israel. Who say, let her be polluted and let our eyes gloat over Zion But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his purpose. For he was gathering them like sheaves to the threshing floor. So these nations that had declared war on Israel did not realize it, but God had a purpose in this. Their their doom was going to be uh, because of this. Verse 13. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for uh, uh, for your horn I will make iron and your hoofs, Will be like bronze, that they may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. So he is prophesying that down the road, all the nations that had declared war on Israel over the this, the the millennia, all these nations will be um, uh, brought under the, the reign of God's Messiah. All right. Verse 1, chapter 5. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. All right. So, again, they've been surrounded by the enemy. And with a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, now, in the the backdrop of all this war, the the Babylonian uh, uh, captivity, the uh, um, Assyrian uh, takeover, There's good news, and here it is. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. So in spite of all the warfare, of all the attacks, uh, of the fact that they uh, find their country divided in half, and they're they're carried off into captivity, there's good news here. And it's going to rise from an unlikely place this little town called Bethlehem. And there will come forth for God, a ruler. But interesting enough, it says in verse 2, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So this one who's coming to be born in Bethlehem already existed before he was born. What's important. He's going to come from Bethlehem, which is too little among the clans to even be recognizable. But... When he comes, he will already have been from long ago. He will have been from eternity. Uh, in fact, if you jump down to verse 5, it says, This one will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will arise against him, seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. Um, so, you'll notice he's, he's predicted it, the Babylonian captivity in chapter 4. Here he's predicting the Assyrian invasion in chapter 5. But in, between, but, but in the midst of all that, he says there is going to come one who will defeat the nations. And he will reign in Zion. And he will sit on the throne of David. Um, and that is the one we're talking about this morning. The Lord Jesus So what's the Savior's story? Well, you noticed in chapter 5, verse 5, the first part says, This one will be our peace. This one born in Bethlehem, who was from long ago, who is born from a mother in labor, verse um, 3, he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord His God, uh, verse four, He is He will be our peace. Well, how is that? Because the, the the song, you know, even the song, uh, especially the verse I I, I read that's not in the song, but even in one of the verses we did sing, uh, He's He's saying, you know, there's no peace on earth, right? There's no peace on earth, and all the the, the what is going on is drowning out these bells of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Um, how, will there, how will there be peace on earth? How is Jesus our peace? Well, turn to the book of Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. So we saw in Micah 5, he is our peace. How? Verse 20. Colossians 1, 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The issue that I have was with many Christmas carols, and we've dealt with it, uh, we've talked about it here, throughout this series is uh, they seem to imply that just Jesus' birth alone is enough. Right? Just because this baby was born, then there's going to be peace. Just because this baby is born, everybody's going to have goodwill. Uh, The Bible does not say that. Peace with God doesn't come through the birth of a baby. Peace with God comes through the death of His Son. By the blood of his cross, he has made peace between God and us. Christ, The peace of Christ starts with converting hearts, changing lives, saving souls. Now, it doesn't end there because the prophecies of Micah and many of the other Old Testament prophets will come true. He will one day actually reign on a throne. He will one day actually rule the nations. But we can all look around and see that that's not happening now. Right? The world's always at war. There's always strife. There's always division. Now, as Christ comes into our lives, he helps striving to cease. He helps to, to bring reconciliation. He helps to heal these divisions. But until he actually comes and returns and sits on Zion's throne, there will not be peace on earth. How is he our peace? He's our peace primarily between us and God. He made peace through the blood of his cross. Well, in this chapter, in Colossians chapter 1, we see he is much more than just that. And that's what we're going to finish up with uh, looking at this morning. Uh, Yes, he is our peace, verse 20 told us, but what else is he? Well, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, again, we're here because it's, Easter, it's a Christmas morning and we're here celebrating the birth of a baby. Uh, if we were to, if we were to uh, look at this baby, what would we see? Well, he is the image of the invisible God. Look at verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. When you look at that baby, all the fullness of God dwells in him. Um, Jesus is the invisible God made visible. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. What would it be like for God to live among us? Look at Jesus. God did dwell among us. Now, every Christmas makes us grapple with the mind-blowing truth of the Trinity. Right? Every, I mean, uh, every Christmas, we got to grapple with this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. One God, co-equals. Can you explain that, Pastor Greg? If I could, I'd write a book and retire. (laughs) I believe it because that's what the Bible teaches And nevermore are we required to grapple with this concept when we look at the baby Jesus, God in flesh. But what the Bible teaches that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. But when we look at Jesus, we are seeing God, the song they sang. Mary, did you know when you look into the face of Jesus, the baby, you're looking into the face of God. So, Jesus is the invisible God made visible. Well, secondly, Jesus is the creator entering into his creation. This is the the miracle of the virgin birth. The one who created everything is entering into his creation through a human uh, woman. The same way you got here. Um, look at verse 15 the last part he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation verse 16 for by him all things again all in fact if you read the this chapter it's good to circle the word all it's here many times for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything that is has been was created by Christ. He is the creator, and Christmas is the creator entering into his creation. Now, last week you see the word there, "firstborn" uh, in verse fifteen the firstborn of all creation. Now, last week we talked about that word. In, in, the, in the Luke passage, when it says Jesus is the firstborn son of Mary, that is a literal use of the word. He was the firstborn to Mary. That implies, and the Gospels teach, that there were others besides Jesus. He had brothers and sisters. In fact, we, we looked at the evidence. There's, there's at least six brothers and sisters. Of those brothers and sisters, Jesus was the firstborn. He was number one. So the, one way the word firstborn is used is in the literal sense. I'm the firstborn son of, of Roger and Marie Wilson. Okay? They, she, they had another son, they had a, a daughter, but I'm the firstborn. That's the literal sense. But the word firstborn is also used in a, met, in a metaphorical sense. Okay? It refers to a title, a position. In Roman culture, um, a, a, a Roman aristocrat, could confer on anybody the title of being his firstborn. He wasn't even actually his his son or his child, but uh, and, it, and it could even have been a slave. But he would be designated firstborn. It's a title. It's a position. It, it, it's an honor. That's what we're getting here. It's not that Jesus was the first thing born of all things that were created. No, he created all things there was. But he has been... He is over creation. He is the firstborn among creation. Verse 17. He is before all things, and then notice this, in him all things hold together. Jesus is still involved in his creation. The deists believe that uh, creation was like a, a watch and 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 the, the creator just wound it up and now lets it run, but Christianity doesn't believe that. Christianity believes that Jesus is intimately involved in his creation. I mean, the 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 the, the birth and the manger proves that he he got down and dirty. He became one of us. Um, you know, if I was to rewrite that, uh, and it's a great song, uh, Mary, Did You Know? But I put in a verse about Mary, did you know when you change his diaper? <laughs> right? Mary, did you know when he spits up on you? He's still the son of God. Right? But the Bible teaches that he is intimately involved in our lives. He didn't just create us and leave us. The first word of all creation means Jesus stands over all creation and governs it according to his will. Things are literally held together because he's holding them together. If he ever decided not to hold them together, we'd all fall apart. But what else do we see there on Christmas morning? Well, Jesus is the head of the church, verse 18 He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Okay, That's referring to our resurrection. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Christ is Lord. We all say the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we saying by that? Is that he is to be first? He is to be number one. Um, uh, The best way to think of the word "Lord," perhaps in our vernacular, would be "boss." He's the boss, Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's the boss, Jesus Christ, and he particularly is the boss of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the head of of the body. We are to follow his word, his commands, his mission, his assignments. But he's head of the church because he earned that right through his death and resurrection from the dead. Again, um, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 18. He is also the head of the body of the church and he is uh, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he has earned his position as head of the church through not just his birth, as wonderful and miraculous as it is, but through his death and resurrection. As I said last night, um, if there's no Easter, we wouldn't celebrate Christmas. He was born... He lived, he died, he rose again. So we'll go to verse 20. Bring it to a a conclusion of where we started. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. All things will be brought back under the lordship of Christ. Now, we're, we don't see that now, except in our hearts, in his church. But all things will be reconciled. Um, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Christ is what? Lord. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven uh, or things on earth or things in heaven Jesus is the hope of the world through him i say whether things on earth or things in heaven he is our peace he is our hope yes that was all wrapped up in that manger but that was just the beginning, not the end. The real source of on un- the real source of all conflict on earth, okay, is that humanity is at war with God. The source of all conflict on earth is that humanity is at war with God. We don't want to bow to our Creator. But Jesus will put, put an end to that rebellion. And he will bring the peace and goodwill that we long for. Well, Longfellow was right. God is not dead or sleeping. The right will prevail and the wrong shall fail. And we have a child born in Bethlehem to thank for that. Let's pray. Now Father, we stand amazed that all that can be wrapped up into a little bouncing baby boy. Uh not just in a bundle of cloths, but uh bound up in in, in that baby is Christ the Lord. And he is our peace. And he is our hope. Lord, as we looked at these Christmas hymns over the month of December, uh, I was constantly reminded that to us, these aren't just songs. We believe what we're singing. If we really stop and look at the words that we just sang, um, many people sing them at Christmas but don't believe them. But we believe it. So, Father, as we uh, continue our celebration today of the birth of your Son, um, I would pray that each one of us that hears my voice this morning would take a moment to look into their heart and say, do I believe it? Do I believe it? I pray. Amen.